even doing a TV show on Netflix, which I still haven't watched, about, like, um, I think, like, food with, like, food with cannabis in it or something like that. I don't know why I said cannabis. <laughs> official word. Um, Yo, are you a narc? <laughs> The views expressed on this recording are solely those of the artists, and by no means do we encourage or condone violence against law officials. Uh, it's for you. It's for you. Welcome back to Blue Cheese with me, Ebony L. Haynes. This is a limited podcast series where I invite a friend and artist to respond to this prompt. Name a song that you currently have on repeat or one of your regular playlist go-tos. That song is then a catalyst for a very fun and unscripted conversation that goes to a lot of places. And joining me on this conversation is E. Jane, an artist who currently lives and works in Brooklyn. And E's episode is brought to you by... Young, Fresh, and New by Khalees. In this episode, we talk about Khalees, we talk about Baby Mama, we talk about the male gaze, collaboration, creative direction, the anxiety of the performance. We talk about a lot of things. And um, I'm going to start with a little clip. As I mentioned um, in the intro for this podcast, your song selection is Young, Fresh, and New by Khalees. And, you know, every, I feel like any black girl who was listening to music in the late 90s and early aughts has some kind of relationship with Khalees in like a love, mostly a love way. (laughs) Like she represented such a, I don't know, like a refreshing wave of music. For me, um, but the this particular album that Young, Fresh, and New is from, which is uh, I forget now, Wonderland, Wanderlust, Wonderland. Another tidbit, sorry, I forgot to mention to you is I don't do any back research. Like, there's no there's no prep into this, so I'm just like I really just want to kind of go off of our knowledge. Um, 
but that's the sophomore album and yeah it's just interesting can you just, first just let me tell me what your relationship to that song is like why was that one that you sort of went to as your go-to yeah okay so this one wonderland as an album first let me just say i didn't know existed or had forgotten that it existed and never heard as a kid until this and heard it this year for the first time oh interesting kind of like going through Kalisha's over overall discography yeah um and then this song in particular i guess it does have that like but it, like you know cause i remember the first album kaleidoscope and i remember like you know i hate you so much right now mm-hmm. like um i i get my relationship with it was like largely like the radio and like this one like um end of the year like countdown show with the video for i hate you so much right now came on and i was like this is the best thing like this is like why are they letting this go on air? This is amazing. Mm. This black woman is like screaming. And I felt like Young Fresh and New just kind of had that like, like Khalees is like, she's like the joinery and so or like she's like a like an argument for like you know everyone knows that rock and roll and R&B both come from the blues but mm-hmm. I think when you hear songs like Young, Fresh and New you really like feel it like Khalees really holds that like she's like a rock star you know what I mean yes totally but it's also like super soulful which black people can be rock stars but yeah so I think that's what it kind of gives me now um it also talks about like you know like get, having to get away like needing to escape and I just like love that like escapism expressed it's like it's like a juvenile escapism but it's also like something that I think stays with you like this like angst that you can feel even as an adult and I don't know quarantines are making me angsty so <laughs> same it was really giving me everything I needed this fall <laughs> yeah you know that's such a good word to describe her she's so angsty but <laughs> what was that video she had I felt like she's also such a tastemaker I mean she her creative direction on you know, not just the production and songwriting, like the, the, the kind of tone of every album she was super involved with, um, but just her style, right? Like, what was that song she had? Oh, Bossy. Remember Bossy was too short? <laughs> hey, yeah. You don't have to love me. You don't even have to like me. But you will respect me. You know why? You know why? like the first time a black woman had grills in a music video and it was stylish or something and they were full of jewels and she had just married Nas I don't know she was like this weird different kind of superstar on on MTV and BET I remember thinking she was so yeah, clever I mean, yeah I mean she it's bossy bossy's this really interesting interesting period I think because of like the fact that like Wonderland basically didn't come out in the States 
Wonderland mm-hmm. only came out abroad. I think it did do what they wanted it to do. Yeah. And so then we, we get access to her through, through like, the bossy era, like, the Tasty album, right? And she is this, like, really glossed-up thing. And it's, like, I don't, I don't know. It's really interesting because you don't think of the person doing bossy as the same person singing, like, Smells Like Teen Spirit in mm. Glastonbury. You know? Yeah, that's and so, so but true. That style is there. Like maybe that's why she was like, you know, I'm wearing grills. I'm like, you know, she, she almost gave grills like a like. I, I mean, I think people think grills are kind of like a punk almost thing. Like you know, like hip hop is a punk is its own. I don't know. I don't know if it's proto punk or if it's just like. It's his it's own its version own of angstiness. Yeah. Exactly. It's own. Exactly the angstiness and punk. It's the, it has that, and I think like the way she was like using grills spoke to that. But that like in, like her style was like she didn't care. But she clearly cared. You know what I mean? Like she mm-hmm. cared about how she was putting things together, but she didn't really care as much about like like what you thought as much as what she thought. Like if she thought it was dope, she was gonna wear it. And then it's interesting to see like M T V and D T like kinda like put that through its like Hollywood lens. Do you know do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I know what you're saying. It's like if she was trying to be an alternative in her style, they pushed it through the machine and made it glossy. Right. Like it, be, it became, exactly. yeah, it, she, it, like she couldn't try, she tried hard to not be that. And then it's, that's all they, they did with it. But her lyrics yeah. were not that her near, her lyrics were not glossy, you know, like she, um, I also really respected her a lot for the kind of collaborations she did. Like she, you know, we were talking offline a little bit early about when you have a position to maybe put people on or collaborate with people who's, um, abilities you appreciate and respect and she was such a huge collaborator with producers and songwriters and really I remember super early on like she was so open about it and she I remember this interview she did on a radio station I don't know if it was in Toronto a Toronto station while I was living there still but she talked about this explicitly and like recognizing maybe her skill in recognizing skills in others like she doesn't need to be you know dubbed the star of the whole project she wanted to shine on other people which i always thought was so like i really respected her for yeah i didn't i actually don't know a lot about her collaborative work outside of what she did with the neptunes and the aftermath of how that didn't really work out in her favor um but like like that's really exciting like do you know like what what are some artists that she collaborated with that, that you yeah, I just remember because I at the time of the I think it's the uh, what was it? the Tasty album. I think that was the time, right? It was like early aughts and Tasty had the um, Trick Me milkshake. You know, it was still it was kind of there had some some hits on it. Um, yeah. And then some good B-sides. Um, but on that album, I think this must have been the one I. I, I don't want to quote it exactly because I'm not I don't have anything in front of me but she had producers so at the time I'm, di- I'm digressing at the time if it, I think it was early aughts with the Tasty album I remember the cover and I was working in a record store in Toronto and uh, I'd, I mean I just really appreciated her the ability that she had to make a really great album so I noticed this album because she collaborated I mean I might be naming producers from other albums but I'm pretty sure they were all tasty but like Dallas Austin she worked with I'm pretty sure on this one definitely the Neptunes but like Andre 3000 um Rockweiler yeah, like, her collaborations with Andre 
Andre are always always amazing. Always like, good. Really yeah. So good. Um uh, I mean I mean she produced some things herself. I don't want to name the wrong people, but I mean there were I just remember there being collaborations that were surprising for somebody's I mean for her to bring so many people in and and features you know like Raphael Sadiq I think she had a song with Raphael Sadiq of course with Nas I mean she was just it was kind of just all over the place but you could tell she I mean she just definitely had a hand in deciding who she wanted to bring in and who she didn't like there was no connection to anyone like I don't know why Dust Dallas Austin was working with Rockweiler was working with you know Dame Blackman or I don't know Anyways, I just thought she was a really great executive producer, really. Yeah, yeah. And, I, w- I wish she got. I wish she got more credit for for sort of that. Like, I feel like people treat her as like she was like the singer, or she's just like, you know. What I, mean? I, don't, I don't know. Like, I always wonder like how how is she being treated in that environment? How how does she get like kind of like perceived in like pop culture now? I know that she got over. She was like over his music after a while, and eventually, I think she went to school in the Sorbonne. Yes, I was. I couldn't wait to talk about that when I saw Khalees is your song, because the last thing I read about her was she she was like studying to be a saucier at in France at like a a cooking school, and she has a line. She has her own, I think, company with sauces and jars of like marinades and sauces or something, right? I think I'm pretty sure. I'm Khalees, I am a singer-songwriter, I am also a chef. I am classically trained at Le Cordon Bleu. First up, I'm gonna make jerk sauce, which I've actually become known for. I was told it was my signature sauce. She at least, I know she had a food truck at some point. I don't know, she's doing a lot with food. She's even doing a TV show on Netflix, which I still haven't watched, about like, um, I think like food with like, food with cannabis in it or something like that. I don't know why I said cannabis, <laughs> it's an official word. Um, Yo, are you a narc? <laughs> Baby Mother. She did a yes, show with Baby Mother? Exactly. Yes, they did a show together. I don't I don't remember like the all the what's in but I know that Baby Mother like opened her police and it was Holy like, shit. Just, like this is the world I wanna this is the world I, I, I do live in and that I wanna live in where like these things are connected and they and they make sense because Khalees is totally like a godmother of like the you know, like the, the music scene that Baby Mother's a part of and that me and Chukuma feel connected to. Like, you know, Khalees is that that shining star there. Man, was that yeah, you, was that it? That was a, a a show a while ago before COVID, like an in person show, like a live show. Yeah, it was an in person show. Wow. Like live, you know, back in the day, they had these things called live shows. I know. So. <laughs> People send me links sometimes for these like Zoom concerts that are happening. I was like, nigga, I can't with the I can't watch this person through my laptop and feel excited. I don't know. I really miss the live show. Talk speaking of live show. Listen to look at this segue. You, I mean, you're talking about what a black woman does in the entertainment industry and and maybe not getting enough credit or having to overcome things. I mean, 
we've never really talked in depth about your um, presence and history in the music world, but you've been active in it. For, you've been very active in it for a long time with a huge following, rightfully so, and touring, like very like active behind the scenes and on the stage. I mean, also incorporating into your art, into your art practice. I mean, it feels like it's symbiotic. It's the whole thing is a practice. You know, you're an artist when yeah. you're performing. I know that. But um, maybe talk a little bit about how you feel. I'm just curious, just as a fangirl, you know, how does it feel to perform? Speaking of the live shows, like what, what's it like to tour? I mean, I know you've had a couple. Is it exciting? Do you miss it? Performing on performing on stage, there's a there's a high to performing on stage that I think nothing else can compare to, um, and I I do I do miss it a bit. It's it's weird because like you know even going on tour like you get up on stage you do this thing and like towards this weird space where like you could do a festival and the show could be packed and or it could be sold out. And then you go play in some small town that your agents like, and the small town's great, and maybe the people that book you are great, but maybe only five people show up, and so you're always being brought on these like highs and lows, and then you get mm. off tour, and you're like just a person, and you're like, was that, did that even happen? Like I think since quarantine, I've just been like, did last year happen? Did the year before happen? Like was I really doing so many shows? Like was that you know like there were months where it was like almost every weekend. It was like did that did that really happen? Like was I really in London for a week? Like. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know um, what you mean. It feels so. It feels I, surreal now. It does feel surreal, um, and I, and I, I, you know, I, I do look forward to when that you know touring is like a a thing again. Um, yeah, just but it's but it's kind of been helpful, like not touring, not performing, and stuff. I've been really having to confront like me as a human, and like even like the work, the music, I've been able to like write away from stage because I feel like a lot of things from like um, my last album, Nevaeh, were things that were developed live and then became mm-hmm. material for the album. And now it's like, well, what do you do when, you, when you're when you just like kind of like performing music for yourself again all the time? Like, what are you making? What are mm-hmm. you, what are you writing? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it, it's the, in theory, this moment should be really exciting for introspection or exploration or some kind of shitty very superficial description of it but it's also quite scary to spend this much time mining your ideas I'm speaking just I'm not speaking about you I'm I'm actually just reflecting on my own time home alone for so long and just almost this pressure you put on yourself to maybe get so much shit done and and or like use this time to discover some weird thing about yourself that you thought you just needed time to discover and it's like fuck no I just want to eat chips on the couch because I'm fucking tired <laughs> that's a little that's a little personal ebony diary of the quarantine I guess no I feel you like I, I love a good nap and I definitely <laughs> some nights I do want to just binge watch tv and I'm like oh I don't even care you know, but the, and, and it's but it's also like I okay I had a tarot reading I didn't come I wasn't like no mm. you know please it's time to ground myself no I got a really great tarot, tarot reading by um, Diani Dews's sister um, oh my God what, Kalila Kalila Dews was giving black people um, like tarot free tarot readings around the time of the protest this summer kind of like as like a self. Uh, like a healing exercise for people and I signed up for one 
And it was all about how, like, oh, my fire energy isn't able, I'm not able to access, like, my fire energy, and that's been, like, fucking me up. Mm. Um, basically for not being able to do live performances and be out a certain type of way and, like, be on a schedule and how I needed to, like, ground myself more in, like, nature and, like, you know, just, like, cope with not being able to use, like, my, like, fire energy. And so, like, okay, when I had that, when I had a tarot reading in June, then I started thinking about quarantine differently and trying not to lose my mind. It doesn't always work, but I've been taking care of my plants <laughs> and <laughs> now thinking, like, okay, like, I'm a human, like, let me figure that out. Um, but, yeah, that's just that's just me trying talking as my best self. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my worst self wants to sit around eating TV, eating TV, oh, my God, binge-watching shows and eating food. <laughs> I mean, that's all I really want to do. And, and, I mean, I'm the kind of person who... I'm, it's easy for me to convince myself that I'm doing the most by eating chips and watching TV because I I deserve it or some shit, you know. And at some at some level, that's true. If you if you feel like you need a break mentally or physically or both, but then it then it twists into something, um, you know, sort of perverse where the eating chips and on the couch becomes like a veil for actually doing anything. Like I've convinced myself so hard that this is totally fine to indulge in, that I indulge in, in it to a, in a gross way. Like I just don't want it. I'm so overwhelmed at the idea of needing to, um, what's the word? Self, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, motivate. Like I'm, I, I, have this pressure to self-motivate so I just sink down I guess that's what you call depression <laughs> I'm talking about it it's like I don't want to we've all learned a little bit about depression during quarantine we're like is this oh shit is this depression? that's real okay a little self-therapy on the air just just realized that I went through a little depression during quarantine um but anyways but you're also teaching right now yeah I, I am I am teaching. How's that going? Um, it's it's going. You know, um, I I don't teach my own work, which I think a lot of artists don't. Mm. So it's why like is that? You think? Just, why 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 is that? You think artists don't teach their own work? Well, okay. So I, I my mentors never taught their work, but I studied with them. Like um like I studied under Sharon Hayes at mm. at ten when I was there in terms of performance mm -hmm. and like a lot of the way that I think of like the Mesa project and like my performance work in relation to my artwork comes from conversations I've actually had with Sharon Hayes mm -hmm. um, and watching her in class like her, her practice is phenomenal but you'll never know about it from from her class talks mm. <laughs> you, you know like and I just felt like maybe this is like this deeply humble like anti-ego thing and also because if you're an artist with your soul your practice is based on the stuff you're looking at anyway right like you're you're watching your peers you're reading stuff you're doing all this and, like, that's what's really important, not what you're, like, you know, if my students don't know what I'm doing, they can look at it after class, but, like, mm. in class, I'm basically just showing them the things that um, help me create the work I make and help, help and, and I'm teaching with my partner, um, we're so Scratch is co-teaching, mm -hmm. and so it's really the stuff that have been, like, determining the Scratch performances that we've been doing over the past, like, over, a de over half a decade now, mm -hmm. um, and, yeah. I guess that makes sense, right? I mean, why would you? It's it is sort of weird to teach, or to 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 talk about yourself and then ask people to critique what you're talking about or reflect upon it and 
give it back to you. Make art accordingly. Also, yeah, I don't want to prescribe. Make a, make art like me. Like I don't even really feel that way. If you want to make art like me, maybe you because like you know, with my mentors, I'm like, I want to make art like you. Right. But that's on me. That's not on the teacher to right. do that. And then I'm gonna figure out how to make it my own. I think like maybe the last class we might talk about our project. I really liked that. If the teacher did talk about their work at the very end, mm-hmm. it became this like thing where you're like, oh, I don't, I don't know what you do. I, I've seen some of this. But I don't really understand. And Rainbow all this stuff, and at the end they're like, okay, finally I'll tell you, I'll tell you why I'm showing you all this stuff. Here's mm-hmm. what I do, and then you're like, well, okay, now I know you better. But that wasn't what the class was about, and I mean, it's like a treat. Like, I, so if I did, if we did teach our work, I think it would be at the end. Um, yeah, that it, that feels like a treat. Cool. It feels right? like a, yeah. I mean, I'm teaching for the first time right now, and I'm like the guest you are, where is it? Oh, you're at Yale. Oh, wait, wait, where are you teaching? At Yale. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. But it's remote, and it's for you know just a year, and I'm like the guest. I'm like the guest visiting lecturer critic in the um, graduating painting and printmaking class, which is great. And I feel like I have a. I actually have a hard time not talking about or relating things to my own curatorial practice because I mean so just just echoing what you're saying I've sort of set up on the syllabus there is a class at the very end called professional practice where I will then chime in really hands-on with them about what it means to be a curator or dealer in a commercial space and what that means for them as artists you know like really having some real talk and allow this open forum for questions but it's hard for me to stay away from that in every other class. Like I, all I want to do is tell them, you know, don't like, don't say yes to that show just because you think you should do it. There's, there's things that you should put in place to protect yourselves as artists and learn how you want your work to be written about because someone else is going to write about it. And if you don't know how you want it written about that press release is going to go out and thing is being like all right here's the same thing i made this is a good painting now paint like me like you, you know what i mean like which is like, i guess like conceptually what i'm trying to like i still tell them stories like one student the other day wanted to do a performance where they screamed in their dorm room and they mm-hmm. were like but i don't want to do it because my like you know someone on my floor is going to come check on me and be like are you okay because i can't like it's not a it's not a space away from people it's like basically it would cause alarm and right. I told a story about how me and Chukuma were doing a performance, like, over the last couple of years where, that I had to stop doing because I did it last summer, um, not last summer, sorry, two years, wow, wow. 2019 summer, exactly, like, I'm like, I'm still thinking the summer I could go outside was the last summer, so right. like, it didn't really happen, but, so the summer of 2019, um, we did this piece at, um, that hollow or like we it's like kind of like a a gesture before like that we use in relation to like a dj set Uh uh-huh but basically i'd like go out into the crowd and just like act like i was among the crowd and then i'd like start screaming and like fall out um and then i'd like generally i would then crawl over to the dj set and we'd start playing like the dj booth and we'd start playing but i did this um, a hollow, and somebody walked up to me and was like, "Are you okay? Do you need Oh shit! Oh like, shit! Exactly. And I was like, "Wow, this means a very different thing now. Things are getting real in the world." And I, and I told, I didn't say the Narcan part because I was like, "I'm not just cool," but I was like, you know, I've screamed in a place and people thought I was actually hurt. So like, maybe this is not a year. Like, you're right. Maybe you shouldn't be screaming. So I'll do stuff like that, but that's not the same thing as, like, let me teach this piece to you. You know what I mean? Yeah, man, that is a crazy performance story, though. Um, <laughs> that 
really shocked me because I used to be able to do that too. Some people would be like, like, you know, you'd get a little concerned. You'd get, like, like one guy in London yelled, like, how do you do anything? Oh, um, man. Like, white guy. <laughs> of course. It, but, you know, and it was like, you know, someone compared it to, like, a death job. And they're like, the real death job. But, like, I've never had anyone before be like, do you need Narcan? And I was just like, oh, drugs are really intense right now. Like, I need to, like, this, this piece needs to think about that. Like, you know, people's sensitivities. Yeah. Wow. I mean, but then, you know, I'm not, I'm not an artist who creates work and I've, there is something interesting about kind of pushing that moment right now. No, I mean, is it just, is it kind of just snarky and bitchy to know that might be sensitive and just have this artist do the yelling in their dorm piece to see, I mean, is that, I mean, I mean, no, it's not like I told them I was, I was also like, you know, like, you know, you could, I don't care what you do, you could do what you want, I'll, you know, like, I'll be the one to explain to someone, like, oh, right. this is a performance, because people are always like, when you see a performance, like, what's happening, but I think it was their comfort with, like, alarming someone, you know what right, I mean? Right, right, So, like, sure. if you don't want to alarm somebody, that makes sense, and especially right now during COVID, yeah. and, like, midterms, like, a student screaming. Yeah. If I was if I was someone watching students, if I was like I don't I don't know what those people are called, like they were called like what the people in the dorms. The resident like, advisors, the, the RAs. Exactly. The RA. Like I can you imagine you're an RA and you're in reading or whatever and some students just like screaming right now. Like you'd be like, Something is really wrong and I'm so scared. Like Yeah. You know, just, how much effort are you playing with that emotion, you know? That's um, true. One time, I just I just got this flashback to I wasn't quite screaming, but I had one year experience living in a dorm, and it's a school that I ended up really hating and transferred myself out of for a lot of reasons. But I went there in the first place to get away from the city I was living in. I just kind of went to the the one that was furthest away that I could get enough student loan to pay for. Yeah. And my RA lived across the hall from me. And I really, I just did not vibe with these people. You know, it's like, it was a super white town in Canada. Um, I just, I didn't have any, people say this doesn't matter, but it fucking matters. If you say it doesn't matter, you don't know what not having that legacy feels like. And by legacy, I mean, no one in my family went to college or university. So there was no one, I didn't know what to expect. Like I didn't, what I knew from a dorm was like the Cosby show and the different world. You know, like, same, same. I yeah, I never talked to anyone about dorm life. I think my cousin, my big cousin, is six years older than me. She went to police state before I did. And that was the only like she was really like one of the only contacts I had for like going away from college. Sorry, you, it's OK, but you kind of you it you can you probably can appreciate that, too. Like what it would be like if we either of us had an offspring who went then went to university or college away I would talk to them in a different way about what being in a dorm is. I just felt so unprepared for what that was going to be like, or even just being at school. But the people on the floor, it was like we were all freshmen. Everybody was like just trying to fuck and party. And I didn't know who was actually like, should I be studying? I really got into music there. I had my first radio show there. Actually, that's that's the best thing that came out of that year. But the RA lived across from me. It was really great. It was. It was called Fat Fridays with a PH, like fat. (laughs) Um, um, and the RA actually became my closest confidant on the floor for a long time and he was a year older than us and he was kind of you know you get some of your tuition subsidized if you do it 
but there are these people on my floor who I just did not fucking like at all. These super broy jock dudes who just like would scheme on girls and go to keg parties like these weird i'm not saying you can't go to keg parties whatever i i don't want anyone on this listening to this podcast to write me a dm and telling me that i don't know what i'm talking about but anyways these dudes i just i just didn't vibe with right and they kept doing these pranks on each other and with you know one time i remember they took someone's underwear and put them in his mini fridge freezer so he woke up and all of his underwear were frozen like i was living in a fucking rom-com it was so annoying or they there were there were um co-ed bathrooms there was the option of co-ed so people would go and like drink beer and pass each other and they're like girls i mean girls and guys and anyways it was just like a weird madhouse you know and one prank one weekend some one of these assholes that i really didn't get along with did was cut like cut the power on the floor and it was they cut it on friday so like the weekend nobody had like the weekend morning like they cut all the lights and the whatever clocks and shit but i had an alarm set to catch a train to go home to see my mom and sister and so i woke up and i missed my fucking train because my alarm didn't go off because they cut the power and this wasn't the first time they'd done it and I opened the door to see if anyone was up. It was super early. Like I was supposed to go catch a train and I guess my brain just, you know, you don't really sleep when you know you have to wake up anyways. And I went and I saw that they put these funny notes on the fuse box, like where the power thing was thinking it was hilarious. And I, I didn't scream like a performance, but yo, if anybody was sleeping before they weren't after I went up and down the hallway and I banged on every single door I was like, wake the fuck up. I was like banging on the doors. I was like, who cut the power? And nobody would come out of their rooms, but I knew they were awake. But I could just imagine now like I was such a crazy fucking mad woman in the hallway. I was yelling. I was yelling threats. I'm like, when I fucking find out who cut this power. And then I was banging on the RA's door. because I was so I was fed up having keg parties in my hallway and not inviting me and then cut the power. Like I was, I was so fed up and my RA, um, he was across from me, as I mentioned. So I was banging on his door cause I wanted him to come out and like reprimand whoever was responsible. I was poor. So I got a ticket that wasn't refundable. So I felt I was crying. Like I couldn't get home and, and he didn't do anything. And then later he, I just wasn't talking. I was like locked myself in my room and he admitted, he's like, um, people came to my room later that evening and mentioned that they wanted me to talk to you cause they were really scared. I was like, oh, word, they should be scared. Anyways, about two months after this happened, I transferred myself out of this school. We can have a real conversation about what you just described. Because when I tell you, I don't know what it is about, like, PWIs and not having money at, like, a PWI where people do or something. And, like, how, like, I don't know. I definitely had a situation in a dorm where my dorm mates were pranking me. And mm. I was, I stopped talking to them. I just went cold turkey. I'm not speaking to any of you. Because one of them was pranking me, and I didn't even know they were pranking me. I thought I was losing my mind. I didn't find out until the end of the semester. That, or what were they year, doing? That they, they hid. Like, I went to go smoke with my smoke weed with my friends. And I came back, and, like, my key to get in was hidden from me 
I didn't know this. I just thought I couldn't find it. And so I couldn't get in the dorm. And, like, I would always get locked out. <gasps> and then one day, like, I tried to eat my cereal because, like, that was one of the few things I could afford to eat. And, like, someone put seasoning in it. So it tasted <gasps> funny. And I didn't know they put seasoning in it. I just thought I bought a bad box of cereal. Like, I literally thought I was, like, it, it was, I just thought I was losing my mind. But then my other roommate would wake up and she'd want to pick a fight with me. And I'm, like, I'm not fighting with no white girl in a white school. Like, that's crazy. So I'm not going to say anything. The point is the connecting tissue is the RA because they told the RA they were afraid for their life because I wasn't speaking to them. Yo, fuck. That makes... Just thinking about this and hearing you talk about it, like those pranks to make you feel people think you're being irrational for freaking out, like it's just enough to make you tip over the edge. Yeah, and then you look and then you tip. And the, and the crazy thing is like, the RA didn't even buy. They were like, you can't be afraid of your life because someone's not talking to you. They didn't threaten you. They're just not speaking to you. Like, that's not, they wanted me to move out. They were like, they want this person to move out because they're not speaking. But it's also like, why do you think you can drive someone crazy to a point where they don't want to talk to you? And then be like, I don't know. It's like, it's like, it's like massage noir, basically. Because like, oh, now you're yelling in a hallway. You're the angry black woman. Yo, for afraid. real, but for it's real. But scary when you don't have any power. Yeah, when, when they... Scary. That didn't make you uncomfortable at all. Like, you that know, hard. that's what I'm saying. That's just like so many... I mean, this is great for any listener here who's not black. This is a problem with the, you know, efforts from anyone who's not black to try and sit at the table when the fire is hot. It's like, now you want to talk communally and everybody's voice is equal but it wasn't equal before this moment of Black Lives Matter. I'm just thinking it's like black people didn't have a voice, but now you want to have a voice with us. Now we can't even have our own voice. It's like it's like nobody wanted to speak up and now everybody gets to speak up. It's like, Nobby, we have the right to speak up for ourselves and alone. It's just like you thought that I was crazy. You, you were antagonizing me. You were the power. You had the power structure on the floor. I was shut into a corner. I had no one to talk to. I was being pranked all the time. I was being made fun of. Somebody, like, little, I had the same stories, girl. Like, some little shit would happen. Like, we would order liquor to be delivered, and somebody would, like, switch mine with some bullshit that wasn't liquor. And I just, like, lost what? money. And, um, I, like. Yeah, it's always something that cost money. Because that key that I had to replace definitely was $50 that I had to pay. You know, and when and you're like, so fucking what? broke, like, I was crying about this train ticket. But then as soon as somebody, as soon as you speak up, you're this emotional, crazy black person and you don't have a right to be there unless they all have a right to talk in some mediated ground. It's like, no, I don't want you to be able to talk right now. I'm angry and it's totally legitimate. And yeah, you and also, yeah, you should be scared. It's not the place for us to have common. uh, We're not sitting equally at the table right now. It's me. I'm upset and I'm allowed to be upset. And I want to talk to the RA because that's supposed to be the mediator. And for you to tell them that I'm threatening you in this moment where you've actually threatened me. Like, fuck, like, how can that shit get turned around so easily, man? I'm, I'm just getting so angry thinking about that experience no, and not really, speaking up for really myself real. more. The anger is so valid. Like, it's, it's totally, it's totally a thing. It took me years to kind of get over it, but I still won't speak to any of those people to this day. Like, whatever tried to follow me on Instagram, I definitely blocked them, so I'm not over it. Mm. Not over it and you don't have all. to be. You don't have to be over it. <laughs> Mark Bradford um, talked to, like, my graduating class. Um, in 2016, um, when we went, we went to LA to like do our show and stuff, and like definitely like to the studio and in the talk, which I felt like at some points I was like, wow, like because I was like one of the only black people in the room, and he was just like so happy to see me there. Mm. And at some point he's like, you know, like I have a long memory, 
like a long and that was the year that he was gonna be in the Whitney Biennale mm. I'm not the sorry not the Whitney Biennale no the um, Venice Venice right? yeah yeah Venice and and it's just like him saying that I was just like you know it's just like he's, he, he remembers everything and he's just like yeah I have a long memory so any injustice you ever experienced you know and you see it in that work but like it just taught me something in that moment. I was like, I have a, I want to have a long memory too. And you like keep it cute in the moment. You do what you have to do. I think he said something like, you know, like like stay humble. Mm. You know, and was like telling me a story about having to like show a painting in a in a, a parking lot, like having to like roll out a painting in a parking lot on the ground because this like curator wouldn't look at his work. And wow. he was like, stay humble. And he was talking about having a long memory, and I was like, words. That's all I needed to hear because. You know. Yeah, you do need, it's funny about the generational thing too, you know, it's like, I really do try to practice humility because, or, or, you know, figure out ways to let the microaggressions wash over me and not let it distract me because not that it warrants, it doesn't, it warrants distraction, it warrants more attention, uh-huh. but um, I know that the amount of power I have is similar to that fucking dorm floor, you know? I am the only one on this floor and if I act a way that in my mind and the mind of people who support me and love me would be justified, I won't like, you know, catch that fucking train. Like I won't, I won't be invited to that keg party or I won't get to speak at my graduation, you know, and it's hearing people like I know a lot of artists who are of Mark's generation, black artists who say the same shit. It's like you basically the 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 task at hand for black people in the art world and music industry i would argue too is finding a way to not feel like you're swallowing shit you know it's about making it's i know that i know it's funny i mean but that's how i that's how i feel though it's like you you feel me right it's like you have to the, the the biggest task at hand is teaching yourself how to make sure you're not you don't feel like you're swallowing shit and you're not losing part of yourself at the same time you figured out a way to balance you're not selling out or giving too much of yourself to somebody else's power but you're not just eating their shit either you know like you you have a you have a role to play but you know you're basically teaching yourself yeah like mark said you're teaching yourself humility stay humble for the right moment because that's all we really have are these moments to speak to the fucking ra you know, I can't believe this analogy works perfectly. I mean, if you go to the RA at the wrong time, he's going to side with the with the people who are upset that they pranked you, which doesn't make any sense. Right. But if you go at the right moment, if you make sure they you, you know, that you don't want it for me, I was like, I can't be the angry black woman. Let me just talk to my homie like this with my voice calm and rational. And it sucks to think it's yeah, it sucks to think that you have to do that. But you the the goal is to teach yourself not to feel shitty about doing that. That's in my opinion. That's like that's the task at hand for us. No, definitely. It's like, how do you wield? Like, I think like when I like, you know, I was thinking a lot about softness in like 2017, 2018, through like queer people talking about softness online and stuff. And I was like, well, for black people softness is a real like you know like like that should be a real thing we get to think about and like softness is black because it's like it, it really helped me think like okay instead of like playing into this thing and like making myself so angry that I'm hurting myself 
how do I, how do I, like, make staying calm, like, almost like a martial art, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, literally, okay, you want to talk about, like, tour and, like, music and, like, staying calm, like, I remember when I was on tour in the fall of 2018 in Europe, um, I did a show in Denmark, and then I think the next show I had was in Berlin, mm-hmm. I think this was the, yeah, and when I went to get on the plane to go to, to go to, um, Berlin, um, this flight, this woman that was standing, like, you know how they have, like, the gates you go in, and, like, you don't really have to, not everyone makes you talk to, like, or, like, you don't always have to say anything. Some people don't even want you to talk to them unless you have a question. Mm-hmm. But I just kind of, like, went up to, like, you know, like, try to at least go to where you, like, book in your ticket. And this woman, I don't know if she was power tripping or what, but she was like, you know, excuse me, where are you going? Da, 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 da. I was like, sorry, here's my, like, ticket information and everything. And she's like, oh, you missed your flight. And I was like, I what? did. That's so crazy because I like made sure I got here in time, so I didn't miss my flight. And everything, um, and I didn't get upset because I feel wrong. But I like instead of getting upset, I was just like, wow, that's crazy. Like, <laughs> I don't know, got sad. Like, I, I'll, I'll like basically get myself to like if I'm gonna get angry, like let it come out of sadness because sadness can be processed and anger will be used against me. Mm. Um, and people aren't always expecting black women to be sad. Like we're taught not to show emotion, like you know, like to be totally. hurt in public. At yeah. least where I'm from, I definitely thought like don't let them see sweat. Of you know what I mean? So yeah. like that, you know, translates like don't cry, don't do anything. So when you do cry, when you do show an emotion, it's it, that's not anger. It's like so off putting and it's so disarming and it's mm-hmm. so powerful. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. To be able to wield that. I know you're doing it to manipulate the situation. And surely enough, I got on that plane. Like, I acted confused. I was a little hurt. <laughs> like, I just thought I did everything I needed to do. And she's like, oh, actually, you can go check in. I was wrong. There you go. Right? Like, as soon as you just, you're, you figure out a way for them to not feel threatened. Yeah. Which is you just doing all the extra work. All of it, all of it, and it's exhausting, you it's know. Exhausting, yeah. Going back to Kalise, maybe it makes you want to go to cooking school, but yeah, for real, Kalise, show us the way, man. If you're listening to this, so a couple of episodes, I've had these bucket list ideas of people that we mention in the podcast. If they listen, we would love to hear from them. But really, if Kalise hears this, I mean, she's a she's a true champion. Like, you are really. If you're listening, you, if you're are, listening, you are a champion. You. Seriously. Um. You know, I don't know if I should tell this story. No, I can't. It's too dark. I'm skipping. Let me bookmark it. <laughs> you know what? I'll tell you offline. It's too much. Okay. But remind me to just tell you quickly when we when we cut um, okay. my my dark Killy story. Let me just mark here to cut this. Well, um, you know, I also want to be mindful of your time. I'm just thinking if I should... I mean, we had a little break. Maybe we wrap it up here, unless there's something else you want to talk about. Um, yeah, we could, we could, we could totally wrap it up. Um, yeah, I'm, I felt like we talked about a lot, which was actually really exciting. Isn't that fun? Isn't that fun how that works it out? Was. I mean, I was... and my edible hit as soon as I got on the phone. Not gonna lie to you. So it was yes. like, oh wow, this Yo, if like for real, if I could somehow get someone to produce this format podcast and pay me and have like a production team to do it like once a week or once a month even, it's so fun to talk to my homies like this. I mean, the unscripted conversation also it it feels so like a lost um I don't know, like lost form of communication just talking 
like just shooting the shit just there's no reason to schedule a call we don't need to we're not even just checking in with each other we're just talking we're just talking about constant small talk which feel which is so fun it is it is fun and it's it's anti-capitalist which i don't get to be that often yeah at least in my meeting life (laughs) don't worry i'll be back in that zoom life soon i just i have i was i was actually Uh, going to um try like i'd originally when i started recording these wanted to start facetiming so i could at least feel like i was sitting with my friends and recording this conversation but um i have to do the these podcasts in my basement and the reception so shitty so the facetime kept cutting out but it's nice to hear your voice even if i can't see your face i'm envisioning it i'm envisioning your face yeah and we're kind of neighbors like not literal neighbors but not far away from each other I know, I know. Oh my god! Okay, like I, I think a couple of weeks ago we were on me and Chipmo on one side of the street walking, and you and your partner and baby were on the other side. But you guys look so intense. I didn't want to bother you, but like we look so intense. (laughs) Yeah. Well, not in a bad way. Not no. Like like you just look like you were like living your life and enjoying your fucking like Saturday. I was just like. Your life. Yeah, your that sounds like, like us. I'm not Yo, you. we like, live. Moment, we know? totally live for the weekends right now. I mean, my whole career in New York in the art world, as with everybody else I know, has included one, if not both, weekend days. Um, and when I got this new job, I was like, "Yo, I'm working Monday to Friday." Because one thing COVID taught me was trying to create some kind of quality of life. And my, yeah. my partner doesn't work on the weekends. My infant baby is home on the weekends and not in daycare. So why wouldn't I want to try you and mean spend... they're not working on the weekends, Ebony? I, mean, I know. <laughs> I know. Um, but anyways, yeah. The, so you probably saw us in a moment where we were plotting out our... I mean, we really enjoy Saturdays and Sundays. It's crazy. I live for them. Y'all were adorable. We were running the Fort Green ourselves. We've been trying to... We've been really trying to do... Like a weekend, a weekend life when we can. Although I still, I still work some weekends, but at least Saturday morning, I, I generally try. Or like, yeah, I don't know. I'm just trying to eke out life where I can. You got to go to that Fort Greene farmers market. I love that farmers Me market. Me too. I've only, I've only successfully gone once because I, I want to go at eight in the morning. Yeah, um, you got to go empty. at eight in the morning. That's when we, we go to either the the Fort Greene market or the Prospect Park market every Saturday and. The key is one to go early, but two don't be intimidated by the lines to buy shit because it goes super. It's super organized and um, they like it's a system they've worked out the kinks and they go really fast because they can be intimidating when you walk up. You're like, yo, I just want to buy fucking carrots. Like I have to stand in this line, but it goes <laughs> faster than you think. The, yeah, no, the the line goes well. The line is very social, but the good thing about that is that I actually we ran the last time I went to the Fort Greene market when I ran into Alex Bell, mm. and that was like an amazing moment. We we're like, wow, we're not an artist yet. We're just at the farmers market. Yeah, like, that's so nice. Artist. Hello. Well, we can try and work something out with maybe you, Legacy. Me and Legacy could meet in Von King or do something cool. Yeah, that would be great. I'd love that. Me too. Um, okay. I'm going to let you go and one we while we're wrapping up we're going to I'm just going to say this um episode has been brought to you by and then you just say your name. Does that sound okay? okay? This episode has been brought to you by EJ
Great, thank you. It's Luchi.